Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041-983-1100. Hope you had a lovely weekend. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. I want to get straight to business today because I have a very special man for you to meet. If you went to school a few moons ago in RD initially, or especially at St. Joseph's CBS in Drogheda, you might have been taught by Mr. Moore. Noel, or Charlie as he's better known, is one of those teachers who's fondly remembered by the boys he taught over a long and distinguished career. Retired for a while now, he leads a full and active life, which we're going to hear about for the next while. I am delighted to welcome the irrepressible Noel Moore to late lunch. Noel, you're very welcome. Thank you very much, Jelly. I just want to get uh, listeners confused. Uh, this is not the Joe Duffy show. This is Jerry <laughs> Kelly show. In case you may be sending in requests. Thank you, Jerry. <laughs> it's great to see you. Tell me this because we all want to know, and we all wanted to know when we were in the school as well. Where did the nickname Charlie come from? Uh, to be quite honest, I, I don't know, but I believe I, years later I heard that there was a television programme on uh, dealing with school, you know, one of these uh, sitcoms, whatever you call them, and one of the teachers there was called Charlie. I think it was for his looks, and that's why I got the name Charlie. <laughs> As you can gather already, this man ain't short on confidence. I agree with them because I'll tell you one thing. This man looks a million dollars today and he's never changed in all the years I knew him from going to school as well. You know, you never taught me. I was never in your class. You know that. Yeah, that's a blessing too, Jerry. You know. <laughs> I think it was when you talk to the ones that did teach me. Oh, jeepers, I shouldn't have asked that question. I'm in trouble now from the start. Anyway, you're so welcome today. You're of Clarehead, but there's a little matter of a stream between the Termenfecken and Clarehead parishes that was significant in your life, yes? Correct, Jerry. I'm officially uh, a Clarehead individual, but due to a stream that runs across the road opposite my house, uh, I happen to be 
in Clotterhead Parish, but I had all my dealings since I was a child with Termit Fecken. I went to school in Termit Fecken, I played football for Termit Fecken, and uh, I would say my allegiance... Uh, is with Termin Fekin. Sorry they were beaten yesterday. Oh, it was yes. a tough game. It was. It was very close. They were very unlucky there. But well done again to the Mockers who won for the first time in a long time. Yes. Tell us about your family, your mum and dad. How many were, moors were there? OK, Jerry. My father's name was John. My mother's name was Molly. There were 14 of us in a family. There were 10 boys and 4 girls. Uh, of those ten boys, six of them now have uh, died, God rest their souls, and there are four boys left. Um, it was a tough time we were growing up. We had, by the way, we had four sisters, mm. and uh, my oldest sister is still alive. She's living out in outside Auckland in New Zealand, and uh, a great woman. She went through a hell of a lot. She worked hard, or harder, I would say, in her day than any uh, male counterpart. She ploughed, she drew sand in from the, from the beach, and she really worked. Went on then to be a nurse in Liverpool, and then finally ended up in Auckland. What's her name? Her name is Kitty. Uh, and her name is Kitty Wiley. Her husband is dead now, God rest him. And uh, they had no, they had no family. And she, she's in New Zealand, and she's hailing Hearty there. She's hailing Hearty. She's in, uh, I wouldn't say a nursing home, but one of these uh, retirement villages. Yes. Yeah. And she actually helps out, believe it or not, in her old age other patients and so forth around. She's a great one. And can I say, and without giving anything away, she's in her 10th decade and she's doing great. And I want to say hello to her today because she will hear this, you know. She will hear this on a podcast or somewhere in New Zealand. So we better say a big hello to Kitty this hello, afternoon. Hello, Kitty. We all love you. Really and truly, we all love you and remember you for what you are and for what you did, both to your brothers and sisters and all in Ganderstown. Well done, Kitty. Thank you very, very much. Wasn't that a large family, Noel? Fourteen children. You were born when? Just ahead of World War Two, yes? Yeah, I was born on the 8th of December, 1937. Somebody, some people say it was an immaculate conception since it was the 8th of December. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I don't know. Leave it to yourself. <laughs> Well, we'll, we'll leave that room or stand so, for the time yes, being, Jerry, you know. Go on ahead. But uh, the, the, being born at that time, then you became a, a, a war child. A child when the war broke out then in '39, lasted till '45. You have a memory of being on the beach here when did a plane crash or something? No, it was during the war, Jerry, and I was about four or five, I'd say, at the most. Do you remember this? I truthfully remember. Uh, my two sisters lugging me up the beach to see this massive aeroplane. To, to me, it was huge. And basically, it was an American uh, who ditched during the war. And my sister, Kitty, whom we mentioned, she was first up there and she told us afterwards that the pilot gave her a big box of sweets. And uh, it was, if you like... An unprecedented occurrence, you know. Mm. But also, too, Jerry, during the war years, we would have picked up timber, maybe fruit, coal, uh, stuff that would have been washed in due to boats being torpedoed out in the Irish Sea. And it was a case of who would be first down to sea, uh, who would pick up most, or depending on the tides. And one year, I remember distinctly, seeing three huge barrels of lard coming in. So naturally, 
what would we do? Because you had to hand up everything during the war to account for it in the local barracks. Uh, but times were hard. And uh, naturally, we kept a barrel or two for ourselves. Of course, and it aided and, in the uh, cooking. We helped and out the neighbours too, no doubt mm, about it. Yeah, because uh, it was there were tough years. Yeah, and I remember getting the pension, if you like, from my granny, who had uh, these large bloomers, and uh, she'd have an elastic at the top and an elastic at the bottom, maybe rosary beads in between, and a little baby power, maybe or a thing of snuff. But a great granny she was. Granny Johnson. Oh, my God, what memories you have. Oh, yes, and they lived in a slate row, which was uh, approximately 12 houses, 10 or 12 houses, along the back road outside Termonfeck and going to Clogher. And I remember most of those families there. Mm. Some of them emigrated to Australia. They lived... Oh, it, it was... They were tough. There was mm. nothing on the floor except these clay floors. And uh, I remember my, my, my auntie uh, and she dying or laid out above on the, the little lamp of the Sacred Heart. And there was no partition as such, maybe a curtain drawn over, only two little bedrooms and a kitchen. That was all. And they reared maybe a pig or two to keep them going through the famine. You know, because mm. that year, those years were famine years. I mm. don't care what anyone says. Yeah. You know, we went look for sticks and were shot at a few times too for being in fields that we shouldn't be, you know. Yes. So they were tough times, not they easy were. at all. You didn't... Turnips, did you? Did of course of I did. Were you paid turnips. for that? Pardon? Were you paid for that? Maybe one or sixpence a drill. It'd take you nearly a day to get from one end of the drill to the other. You know, it, it's a, oh yeah, and you'd be looking for maybe to buying an ice cream with what money you might get over it, you know. Yeah. But uh, my brothers worked around the farms and, uh, as I said, six of them are dead. And it was uh, during the 50s, uh, very early 60s, that... Most of them emigrated because there was no work. Mm. They went to England, Birmingham, Bolton, Manchester. And I've been to maybe four or five of the funerals over there. Mm. And uh, I miss them all, you know. And only the other brother, Larry, God rest him, who worked here in Platten, he was not only a, a brother, but he was a great friend. Yeah. You know. So emigration was a thing for an awful lot of families. No work here, nothing for people. So let me ask you this. Yes, Jerry. Your schooling, where did you go to school and how did the teaching come about? Uh, I went to college. I went to um, Galway, got my degree there and then uh, taught, if you like, for a while in Joey's Fairview and then went on and did my uh, H-dip in Maynooth and then I ended up basically looking for a job, and I got one in RD. That was in the late, uh, early 70s, late 69, early mm. 70. I was teaching there in De La Salle School, and uh, it was a great crack, different completely than the town schools, mm. as I witnessed later on. Uh, there were country lads. They did very well. In, that's what I'm saying, Jerry. We talk about uh, school kids and so forth, you know. And it's a thing at this uh, juncture, I would like to pay tribute to all those parents who sent their sons to St. Joseph's, who helped to raise funds, etc. Uh, Christmas uh, raffles and all that. Uh, all these parents were a pleasure to deal with mm. down through the year. So at this juncture, let's say thank you all very much. The the teaching and that, and you going to Galway and then doing your H-dip and all that, were you exceptional at the time in going that route? 
Uh, as a case, Jerry, you had your options. You did this or you did that. Okay. Was, was teaching always to, for you? Yes, I think so, because I had a great yen for it, you know. Yeah. And uh, I saw people who were teachers and say, so why can't... Now, I wasn't the most brilliant, Jerry. I can tell you that academically. But slog, slog, slog is the only way to get on. Because <laughs> sometimes we get things too easy. Yeah. And when we do, we take things for granted. Do but, you remember this? Yes, Jerry. The first day you stood in front of a class of students. Uh, your first class you took when you qualified. Where in RD? Yeah, no, well, your Joseph? very first ever. Was that in Fairview? Or I'd was say it was Fairview. Mm. And of course, you were scared stiff. Well, you yeah. didn't know what you were going into. Mm. And uh, down through the years and so forth. It was... But then you got used to it. And they can say this, what they like about me. I was firm, but fair. Mm. And that's what all the uh, the lads would say. I oh, don't believe him, they'd say. Don't believe him, I know him, you know. <laughs> but truthfully, and I have no regrets whatsoever that I did my best for the lads that I had in school. There were sad cases, deaths, accidents and so forth. And I remember, I'm not going to go through all this, yes. but uh, I remember I had one brilliant class in St. Joseph's. When I say brilliant, academically wise, as well as being gentlemen. Now, you you do, there are different strands, as you know, Jerry, uh, A's, B's, C's, and maybe D classes. But this was an A class. And I remember at the end when I said, look at lads, goodbye, I said, and thank you very much. And I hope we won't meet any, in any uh, sad circumstances. Uh, so I said my goodbye, and about three or four years later, wasn't one of those students killed while he was doing a good turn, leaving a friend of his home. My God. And we all met, believe it or not, outside Slain, inside in Slain graveyard, and there we were. So the words came true, you know. Mm, that you, you know you were saying to him, good luck, and you never know what life throws correct, your way. Yes. He's staying with me on late lunch, Noel Moore, better known as Charlie, and he's told us what that is all about already. Did he teach you? Have you memories of this fella? We'd love to hear from you on late lunch this afternoon. 086-1800-658 is the WhatsApp or text number. If you want to call in, if it's handier for you, pick up the phone, 1850-715-958. Noel Moore's with me on late lunch. Hey, Karen was in there a second ago. They're listening all right. There was a fella on from about Fairview who went yes. to school in Fairview who remembered, who remembered you. And who did he mention? that other name from Fairview, a teacher? Uh, oh, sure, look at it. My memory is gone too. <laughs> Once the name came out, Jerry, I do you remember. You do remember. You know, so but say quickly, yeah, what was his name? You know, yeah, you it. called in. I know you called in and, and Karen was in with uh, Noel here and he did recall, like, it's a good while back, who he was talking about in terms of teachers. Now, when you came to St. Joseph's, it was around about 1970 you came there mm-hmm. and St. Joseph's CBS in Drogheda was in Sunday's Gate. Correct, Jerry, yeah. Um, I went there myself and the teachers that were there at the time, was Brother McKinney there? when you Brother were McKinney was there and he's dead now, God rest him. One of the finest and best brothers as regards teaching that I ever knew. Mm. And uh, he had a great love for the place, gave his body and soul to St. Joseph's. And uh, he's buried out in Zambia. And uh, just show you how committed he was, I remember one day going up to the top corridor and there he was teaching four classes at the same time. And, uh, my God, he was some teacher. He wrote books later on on maths, did his best to get money out to Zambia by uh, donations and everything else. God rest you, Brother McKinney. 
Okay, okay. I hope you're yeah. at peace about that. He, he was a great teacher and he taught me and he brought us in on Saturdays. No, that one didn't go down well with, no, with fellas of our age. No, didn't go down with the teachers either. <laughs> to come in on a Saturday for a half day. We, we were in overtime. I think this is flipping mad. <laughs> but you know what? We got the results in Latin That's and true. physics. You know, at the end of the day, he knew what he was doing. He was yes. putting in that bit extra and you got the reward for I it. I know, you know, Jerry. I'm talking to a millionaire. This way. <laughs> <laughs> you wish you're in the wrong place. You should go up to RT, that other no, place. No, don't no, mention no, his name no, again. No, you were talking there. And then you're talking about the millionaire class. Yes. Anyway, you came in 1970 to, to St. Joseph's. We mentioned McKinney. Was Tyg Sexton there? Ah, Tyg. Oh, my God. A good Clareman. Himself and Nell. Yes. And Johnny Gregory and Bernie. Johnny? They were the, uh, the how would you put it, the granddads and the grannies of St. Joseph's, mm. who every Christmas they ran bazaars and raffles and cakes and everything else to gather funds, if you like, for the school, to try and build a school. And the school that I knew then on St. Joseph's, it had prefab bloody well everywhere. It, we had them um, over... Uh, beside Magdalene Tower, there were at least four there. There were two at least down in the garden of the brother's house. And there was another uh, prefab actually in the playing ground in the school itself. Oh, it was, it was, uh, how would you put it? It was like a game of checkers or drafts going from A to B and <laughs> hopping around, you know. But you were part then of the move, the big move, when, you know, there was just no more room. And then the, where they played the, the, the Gaelic down in ah, the Newfoundland. Ah, well. don't talk about that. Uh, and go down and go through an old hedge and ditch, you know, and out there. Huh? Look, I don't talk the about The steel it. shed. Some, the the old steel, steel shed, shed yeah. Inside and Dressing rooms, how are you? There yeah. was none, you <laughs> there know. There was none. And yeah. I remember making that walk from Sunday's Gate down to Newfoundland well at least once or twice a week for, for, for the uh, PE or the sport yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. but the new school down there which is unbelievable Correct, at this stage yeah. and what they've just done more recently under David Madden's guidance and now Paul Savage yeah. you were part of that move you moved with the yeah, school yeah we, we moved down and I remember it was opened by Mary McAleese well it was a year later she came and supposedly opened the, the event but I'll tell you one thing uh, I gave my body and soul to that school, St. Joseph Damon Affair, with football, debates, uh, going away with teams. Maybe uh, you come in in the morning, Jerry, at half eight, be there, you know, like any good teacher would be in time, you know. And uh, you had your homework done, etc., etc. But I remember coming in there and going down with football teams, maybe down to the other side of Dundalk to play football matches, and maybe not be home until uh, maybe half seven that evening. And I remember one occasion we were away in debate against uh, the grammar school in Dundalk. I had a sort of a, a kind of a, a van come car, whatever you like. So I shot five of them into the boot of it, and uh, uh, we're down having a debate against the grammar I, I think we won some of the fellas said I forget I know coming back through uh, Castle Belling we were stopped and summoned and everything else the book was thrown at me but uh, due to internal uh, friends and so forth I think I got off <laughs> so you, you were know. you were breaking the law with the number of passengers oh, you had and everything you, but, Jerry there was never such a thing you did it for the school you did it for the reputation of St Joseph's and that was it there was no questions asked mm. you know and there was great great rivalry between the school St Mary's uh, and Ollie's and so forth, you know. Mm. Uh, and uh, I remember one year I had the, the training of the under-14s and for four years, Jerry, 
we, we weren't beaten. We won the Loud under 14, four years in a trot. And if you don't believe me, go down and look inside uh, the uh, picture gallery down in St. Joseph's, the present St. Joseph's. Yes, Jerry. Shoot. So uh, Mourinho isn't the only special one when it comes to managers. Who? Mourinho. Not at all. Mourinho doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> he should be gone a year ago. <laughs> yeah. Now, wait till I tell him, you ret- do you remember what year? I don't think you do. I did ask you this. Yes. What year did you retire? I haven't a clue, Jerry. Retirement is a word that is blandied about. You know, you yeah. never retire. I know when I was about 65, you officially retired at 65. But um, as, as things went, Jerry, then... Uh, I would have been finished at December 65, but then in the middle of a school year, you don't retire, so yeah. I went in the... So I retired roughly at 66. OK, so and you're a few years out at this stage. Yeah. But it wasn't it wasn't a big transition for you, no? No, I never, I never looked at retirement as an option. I could have gone on for another 10, 15, 20 years, you know. The spirit is there, you know. Absolutely. Now, you've taken to poetry uh, in recent times, especially, and you've written a few poems. Will you go into two o'clock with that little one there? Will you read that one for me? Which one now, Jerry? I the won, first one, yeah. Uh, it's my Stradivarius yes, Queen one, or Stradivarius, Family Values. Stradivarius. Give now, us that one. I met my beloved wife, Maureen, in Castle Bellingham, and I don't know what uh, got into me, but anyhow, uh, we had notions of royalty then, you know. And uh, to prove it, I even bought two mugs and they were embossed, the uh, the Duke and the Duchess. I think we used them once. They're still in the press. You, you know. call her the Duchess, don't you? Oh, of course I do. It's yeah. a this present day and a great little woman. Uh, OK, here it is. And uh, if you know anything about Stradivarius, the violin as such, it is priceless. Uh, the things that go in to make it like... Uh, uh, borax, sodium, potassium, bernica, that's, you know, mm. uh, only Cyril Gillen would know what that's all about. OK, here it is. <clears throat> I call it my Stradivarius Queen. And there she sat, my Stradivarius Queen, sleek, chic and neat, her harmonic top from finest spruce and willow for internal parts. Her back was swan, uh, her back and swan-like neck, made from maple, oh so fine, treated with BSP and polished with Bernica V. It was fruitless to resist. Into my arms, with cheek to cheek, I smelt her fragrance, oh so sweet. It was the coolin, and the love song, Unavon, whose notes that pierced my very soul. While soaring lark-like with a note, your G-string broke and I became undone. Shin, my boy, yeah. <laughs> You've brought everything into that, I have to say. Did, Stay there, I'm just taking a short break from for news. Thank you for your messages. Noel Moore is staying with me for a few more moments on Late Lunch. Did he teach you? Have you memories of him? 086-1800-658 by text or WhatsApp, or you can call in now on 1850-715-958. A listener wants to know, did Noel get his ice cream in Ken Carroll's shop, Jerry? Will you explain Ken Carroll's shop? Uh, Ken Carroll's was a little kind of a huckster shop over the big street in Termin Fecken. It sold basically sweets and ice cream and a few little oddities like that. Ken and the wife ran it, but uh, how will I put it? Should we knock more fun out of that than enough? And uh, Ken had a pet, uh, a pet fox on a lead, but uh, the fox wasn't being led at all. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Ken used to encourage us to buy ice cream so that we'd give it to the fox rather than ourselves. But then we were, we had not been rude around, we were, who gets at night, you know, and we'd be 
catching blackbirds with torches and birds <laughs> and then knocking the door at Ken's and let the whole lot of them in and they'd be flying around jam jars and so forth and we ran like hell. But sure, that was a simple devilment, you know. You loved lads that you thought were a bit of devilment, that twinkle in their eye, didn't Correct. you? Correct. Give me the guy now. He may not be academically endowed and so forth, but there were rogues and rascals in that school and they were likeable. That was the thing. And I meet them to this day and they say, Mr. Moore, Mr. Moore, how are you? Hello, Charlie. And uh, should they, call, they still call me Charlie, you know. <laughs> I was in one day getting a photograph taken with a family and uh, in Murphy's, uh, the photographer. And we were lying, I think it was a com- uh, communion or um, confirmation, it doesn't matter. And uh, we're li- he lined us up in seats and so forth and he'd say, no, Charlie, would you move a little bit that way? No, no Charlie, not there. Yeah, you'd be better standing at the back. And the kids were looking around to see who Charlie was. <laughs> was. They didn't even know who Charlie was, you know. So that's While you mentioned family. Family photographs, I have to say, not one, not two, three, but four of them followed in your footsteps. Correct. And uh, I am very, very proud of the family that I have. Uh, I have two boys and three girls. Uh, Catherine, who's teaching here in St. Oliver's. Uh, Siobhan is teaching in St. Joseph's, both of them secondary. Neave, who is teaching over in Sandpit. And Rory, my other son, is teaching in Dunleer. And my other son, Dunica, uh, has a little caravan park uh, and... Uh, Look, I'm very proud of them all, and so because in the end of the day, what have we except our families and so forth? That is and true. And at this no. moment, I may not have a chance to say thank you to my family and my wife who look after us all these years. Well done. Uh, can I read some more comments that are coming to us today? I Listen hope they're favourable. They, oh, of course. <laughs> what else would they be with you, Marshter, and Shaw, and Tranona Shaw? Oh, yes, says a listener. Noel Moore, firm and fair, but is caring and human nature quietly going that extra mile for everybody? Highly respected by pupils and parents. Take a bow, Mr Moore. Grateful thanks to you for bringing out the best in my three boys. God bless you. What about that for a lovely comment? Another one. Best teacher I ever, ever had. Connected with the students and had the utmost of respect for students and got this back from us in return. A true gentleman, now get on your Honda 50 and home to Mammy from all in Clarehead. <laughs> that comes in from Brian this afternoon. Yeah, yeah. What's that about the Honda 50? Oh, I didn't know Honda, you know, put together with screws and bolts, you know. And I'd go up the beach and uh, if nobody was looking, I might go in and have a game of golf above and Sea Point. By the way, that's one of the best golf courses around, you know, Sea Point. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you, you got that one in. They said yeah. to you, make sure you give us a mention when you're in there no, today, no, Moore. Yeah. Do you know a fella called Martin Quinn that plays down there? Uh, yes, he has a reputation for uh, taking uh, money from poor people, you know, <laughs> and I uh, think it's highly unfair. <laughs> hey, you've a bit of reputation yourself. I heard. I you know s- a lot of that is hearsay, Jerry. I you heard know. you wiped a few eyes last week down there. I know, Jerry. They give. They're they're giving people. You know, <laughs> they give you. You and say, I know he's poor and. <laughs> Rather than taking the money, just say, here, Noel, you know, and give you a nod, Euro. What handicap are you playing now? I'm playing, it fluctuates, but uh, to, to divulge it over the, over, the, over the radio now, it would be, it, it, be smacks of evil, you know, okay. so I, I won't divulge that yet. 
don't play him for a five or I'll just I will say that over the airwaves today yeah. I know you love golf and Seapoint Golf Club you mentioned gardening as well as being part of, of, of what you love to do are I, you a vegetable or a flower man or what trees shrubs everything everything, uh, everything. gardens plants flowers shrubs and uh, by the way, Jerry, if you, if you want cooking apples, drop down of a few sacks of them outside the gate. <laughs> no, I love flowers. And uh, I got some lovely hollyhocks there. They're really, really beautiful. I have my own lettuce, which I'll have a bite later on when I go home. Beautiful. And a few scallions. And, uh, you know, I really love and look after lawns for the, my daughter and keep things in order, you know. Mm. And what about travel? You mentioned travel has been one of the things that you love to do in life. If I said to you, if you had a place in the world, I know you love where you live and your family and here and everything, but if you were going somewhere, where's your favourite place to visit? Well, Jerry, no matter where I went or when I went, I always wanted to get back. Basically, it's grand. I had a great little trip myself and the Duchess and we went down to Wexford and we explored, we went out to Hook Head and we went to a lovely place, Jerry, called Tintron Abbey. If you've ever done that way, go out and have a look at the wall gardens. And uh, I would say the west of Ireland or another beautiful spot is around Cahar Savine. And a place I must call is a place called Kells. Uh, close to where Mick O'Dwyer lives, outside that area yes. there. So you love Ireland? I really love Ireland and uh, I love the people of Ireland. You know, I, my wife gives out to me say, no, for God's sake, don't be talking to those. You wouldn't know what they're on the mind, you know. But if you're honest and truthful, you know... You tell the greatest lies going, but sure, some of them believe you, some of them don't, you know. You love music, I know, as well. I do. Traditional and classical. Yes. Do you sing or play? Uh, I wish I could, but uh, hats off again, in case I forget, to all those involved in the flag this year in Drogheda. There were begrudgers and ifs and buts and mites, but look at hats off to Drogheda and those committees who looked after the flag. Well done. I love traditional music, uh, particularly uh, Burke on the box. You know, he's one of the best box players, I think. Uh, and... Uh, and I was in the flower there in Slogan, spent three nights of passion there, myself and the Duchess. And, uh, <laughs> no, no, in the piano. Sorry. no, it's ten past two yes, in the yes, afternoon. You yes. can keep that for a later show. Yes, Listen okay. to this. <laughs> There's somebody telling me, you know, Jerry, he has another nickname. They call him Dustin in Seapoint. He wins that many turkeys. Ah, no, 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 Jerry. Now, this is again hearsay. <laughs> Dustin was the turkey. And I did go in this year to look for some wire now in uh, Eddie's hardware, but it was all gone. They're all looking for barbed wire now. OK, Jerry. OK, we're going to finish with another piece that you've written, your poetry, Noel. So yes. we'll, what are you going to read for us? Uh, tell I'll us. tell you what, Jerry. Uh, we were... If you like, uh, listen to the trauma and so forth of all those victims, if you like, in the Magdalene Laundry. Uh, I write poetry about everything and anything. And uh, if uh, the muse hits me, I'll write. Here's one called, <coughs> excuse me, uh, I wrote five of these family values, but this was one particularly of daughter in family way. Here goes. I knew her well. She was dark-eyed beautiful like a scented summer rose in bloom, innocent and loved by all. Her father, proud of his religious links, more so when Easter Jews were read, and no widow's might from him, close ties with church and state, not loved but feared by all. 
Sin and fear of retribution rule the roast. Family pride and what the neighbour said. Justice and kindness played no part. Then out of wedlock our girl did fall. So when the parents knew, all hell broke loose. No love or warmth was shown to errant girl. The parents now turned their backs, she sent away, for shame and what the neighbours now might say. Family rejection, now member of the Magdalena home, cruelty meted out to single mothers there. Their families turned their backs on those who put them there. Desperate that shame should not be brought on them. What happened to our summer rose? Did she survive? And what about the baby in the womb? I know not, friend, for never was she seen again. So much for family values then. Beautiful, Noel. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you so much. Continued success with the poetry. Enjoy your garden, your family, your lovely wife, your playing of golf, you name it. Thank you very much, Noel Moore, it's been a pleasure. Uh, but before I go, I'd like to say hello to my friends in RD, Funshog, Carrig Macross, St. Joseph School. God bless you all. Have a good day. No more. Thanks a million. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Did you know that in nearly a century, only 19 or 10% of all those who held ministerial positions in this country have been women? The fair sex have fared better in presidential terms, with the two Marys, Robinson and McAleese, holding office. It's only when you read Martina Fitzgerald's brilliant uh, new book, Madam Politician, that it becomes apparent why women have played second fiddle to men in the world of Irish politics. And I'm delighted to say she's a busy, busy lady. Political correspondent with RTE News, Martina Fitzgerald, is on the line. Hello, Martina. Thanks, Jerry, and thanks for having me on. Not at all. I didn't think I'd get you at all with the few days we've had up there. <laughs> well, I've taken a few a few days <laughs> off because last week was a roller coaster, but it started with the budget, and you know how it ended. Yes, <laughs> my oh my. Well, listen, may I say to you, congratulations on the book. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I, I want to talk to you about a few uh, points that jump out of me from the book. Uh, one stat that's just glaring: the 1920s, we had Countess Markovich who held ministerial position. But Martina, this is incredible. It wasn't until 1979 when. Maura Gigan Quinn was uh, made Minister for Geltacht, that another woman sat at the Cabinet table. It says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, that is some gap, isn't it? Yes. It's extraordinary. But then you also have to realise that it wasn't until 1981 that we had double digits in terms of the number of women in the doll. It's extraordinary. And by the way, when Maura Gagan Quinn went into to Charlie Hawley, she didn't think she'd get a job because she had uh, supported George Colley in the leadership race. Mm-hmm. But when she went in, he had his feet on the table. He was having a, a cup of tea from his china. And he said, we're going to make history to her. And she goes, what do you mean, Thishuk? And he said, yes, I'm going to appoint you minister for the Gaeltox. And she said, famously, 
do you think I'll be able for it? And she regrets that to this day. But you can understand a lot of women will empathise with that because uh, there weren't many when she walked through the door, when she walked back out through the door. She was number two in 1979. My, oh my. It just shows you, like, you know, the attitude in this country uh, and the way women, because women were elected, Martina, there were women TDs. That's right. And actually, you mentioned it there. Countess Markovic, when she was appointed in 1919 Minister for Labour, Ireland was at the fore. Our Ireland was a leader in terms mm. of, a, of appointing a woman a minister. And then we have this huge mega gap for 60 years. And by the way, Maura Gagan Quinn, you mentioned there, 1979. It took until 1992 for there to be two women at the cabinet table and we've just reached four. Yeah, so progress is being made but it's rather slow, I have to say. Now, you mentioned uh, the appointment of Maura uh, Gagan then and Charlie Hawhey, of course, who was the man who made history appointing her. But he made another type of history with Gemma Hussey which has grabbed all the headlines I see today in the papers and I had it picked out as well. Tell us what happened uh, with Hahi and herself. Well, Gemma Hussey, you have to remember, started off as an independent senator in the late 70s and she was a, a member of the Women's Political Association and I say that because she was a strong woman determined uh, to get women's rights and women involved in politics and she would have travelled around the country advocating for women. And one of her big issues was that rape in marriage was made a criminal offence. Now, that sounds extraordinary today that that wasn't the case back there and that someone had to actually argue for it, but that's exactly what was happening in the late 70s, early 80s. So she had a private member's bill on this issue. She then uh, went over to the Dáil and around the very top of the Dáil there are seating arrangements for senators to come and look down at proceedings. So she was sitting sitting there minding her own business, watching what was happening. And suddenly she got the shock of her life, I think it's fair to say. She felt her bra strap tug. She jumped up. Who wouldn't? and turned around and she was flummoxed when she saw who it was. And that was Charlie Hai, who was then Taoiseach. My word. And Neve Brannock, who was Minister for Education in the 90s, which isn't in ancient history by any means, uh, Martina, she was the subject of an assault in the doll. Well, she was standing in the doll chamber. She was going up to vote and a, a male colleague approached her. Uh, she doesn't name who it was and he was quite drunk and uh, he wanted to raise a constituency matter with her and she couldn't help him out on this occasion. That often happens. But he shoved her and she fell back and her head uh, banged the wall and there was a painting on it, a Malton painting. And she said she was wor- worried that she had cracked the painting. But she banged her head and that happened in the chamber. And there are other issue- issues. Uh, a colleague uh, of Gemma Hussey's, a female um, came forward and told her that she had a serious incident in a lift where someone had uh, groped her. So there was issues back then that were quite serious, but I think it's extraordinary that the women only feel comfortable now coming forward Mm. and telling me their stories for for the book, Madam Politician. And I I remind people of very recent history, 2013 and Lapgate, Tom Barry and Anya Collins. Yes, where he pulled um, Anya Collins onto his lap in the middle of the debate on the protection of life during pregnancy bill. And of course, that went viral because it was captured on a Roxas TV and there was a, a, a huge lashback and he apologised, of course, for that. But sexism comes with a capital S and also there are smaller items. Many of the women at Cabinet say that they have to fight 
to have their voice heard. So you could have, you know, many men making the point and the woman may have made it first minister and the men will refer back to another man who's made it at a later stage. That's also part of the equation. And also, let's not forget, there is an enduring focus on women's appearance and many women ministers have really felt that harshly in terms of the depiction of them really badly overweight in cartoons or crude comments being made. Like, Mm. let's put it like this. What male politician is going to be pictured from the back and a picture put up in a newspaper? Guess who this is? No one. And what male politician is going to be taken up in a headline the next day if they have worn the same outfit twice to be honest, would anyone notice if they had? So there are different standards. There are double standards. It may not be those big incidents, but there are other forms of challenges and uh, double standards that these women have to deal with. And, you know, I'm just thinking here, do you remember the caricatures of Brian Cowan when he was Taoiseach and the Ferrari there was about that? Yes, and you know, that- and I'd, the point, actually, that Sheila de Valera has made, because she was subjected to some cruel comments, is that men don't have to put up with that, by and large, but nor should they. Mm. No, nor that's should a, they. That, that is the point, and that is the, the, the real point to make. Now, besides, you know, they're all negatives, but look at, women have done much, much good, and when they're in there, you can see what they bring to the table as well. But I suppose, Martina, when you go back to the beginning, getting into politics, getting elected, you know, all the challenges that women have there, it's not easy. And yes, in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, even today, but back in the 70s, someone like Mary Robinson, who was on the campaign trail, and people forget that in the late 70s and 80s for the all seat, she was unsuccessful on both. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. She came up with men and women saying to her, go home, you should be minding your baby. And she had a newborn, just a month old, when she went for election in 1981. You also had Nora Owen saying, oh, you're a good girly that you're, you're out there and, and, you know, on the campaign trail and you with children. Would a man be asked that question? Or even more, Gagan Quinn or Mary Coughlin, who had young children. Mary Coughlin had two children, election babies. One, she had to leave a count centre and she had a child. And the other was during the local elections and she had to go out and canvass. So there are extraordinary stories. And we shouldn't forget that these women, I suppose, paved the way for others. But boy, did they have to, to juggle a lot. And I'm going to tell you a really interesting story. And we can laugh about it now, but it certainly wasn't funny at the time. 
Maura Gagan Quinn was um, uh, a mother of a newborn baby and she was a junior minister and then senior in that in 1979 uh, period. But they didn't have a facility for a woman to breastfeed her, breastfeed her child. So De- uh, Desi O'Malley, uh, who had to, to, her senior minister at the time, he had to ring the Minister for Finance, George Colley at the time, to organise something for her. Isn't that extraordinary when we say that out loud today? It certainly is. Now, you've interviewed these women and spent time with them. Is there a common thread? Well, I think they all had huge determination, grit and perseverance because you you just couldn't survive uh, with all those challenges. And for men, it's also difficult when you're spending, if you're a rural TD, a number of nights away from home. It took perseverance, grit and determination to climb and to get a seat at that table. Do you think, uh, having written this and spent time with them, and as I read it as well, it strikes me that, for, for young women today and potential politicians and ministers of the future, it's very inspirational. I think it's the right time for this book, especially since we had gender quotas in 2016 and we saw finally um, it breaching the 30 mark in the doll. There are now 35 women elected. So I think many women uh, will t- get, get an awful lot of advice and inspiration from these women. And it's about time that they've come forward and somebody, I suppose, just happens to me, has written their stories because we'd hate for them to be airbrushed out of the picture. And we'll wait and see. Now, interestingly enough, when I asked all of these women about would they want to see gender quotas for Cabinet, that was a minority view. And I also interviewed Mary Robinson and Mary McAleese for the book. Now, they were all for gender quotas for Cabinet, but it wasn't a majority view. OK, that's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's there, of course, and will be, and it's increasing for the next election as well to facilitate more women getting in there. Do you... Do you think we're far away from the day. You mentioned the two Marys who were presidents, all right. We had Joan Burton, leader of the Labour Party as well, Cornishta. Are we far away from a woman Taoiseach? Well, I asked the women that, and some of them said that they'd love to see it in their lifetime, but it mightn't be in their political lifetime, those who are, are currently in the doll, And some were very pessimistic about it. Uh, particularly if it's a, a Fianna Fáil leader. And, you know, some in, in Fianna Gael as well. So, it's still, there's still a number of glass ceilings, but before you even get there, we've never had a female minister for, for finance. Joan Burton, as you mentioned, mm. came close. Never had a female minister for defence. Never had a female minister for foreign affairs. So there are plenty of glass ceilings still to be spa- smashed. And as you mentioned, the two female presidents, there are some really engaging and interesting stories from them of what life in Oris and Uchtheron is like for their families. And they really uh, had to deal with the spotlight, even though the two uh, former female presidents kept them away from it. Like getting a taxi to Oris and Uchtheron, Mary Robbins would say, the taxi driver would go, oh, feck, you don't, <laughs> you're having me on, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or even when Mary McAleese was elected, her child uh, within her had, was thrown, because she was moving down from Ross Trevor, was thrown into junior cert uh, year any parent can understand that. Or also that uh, another child went, was, was sent to a school who had, which had no camogie. And there's a full debate also in the book about do you cry or show emotion if you're a woman and um, the dangers of that because you could be presented as hysterical. And also all these tag names that women have now in, in work, 
uh, whether it's feisty, high maintenance, emotional, that you have to be so much more careful. And Hillary Clinton uh, mentions that in her book. But I guess what this is all about, this just happens to be a book about women politicians, but it really is about women women in the workplace. And whether you're in a spa, in a library, in banking, in retail, you'll empathize with a lot of these stories. For sure. I like it. I really like this book. It's called Madam Politician. It's been launched tomorrow night. And I just want to mention that Martina will be in Easton's in Ashbourne and Navin this Saturday morning. So if you want to jog along there or do whatever you do there to Ashbourne, Navin, Easton, Saturday morning. And then a very special one I know for you. Antonia's in Trim on Saturday afternoon at two o'clock because your mum's from Trim. She's living in at by. I want to say hello to her today as well. That's true to Theresa Fitzgerald. And that's right. We're going into Antonia's bookshop who has been a great supporter of my book when she heard about it and it's nice to be coming home. (laughs) It certainly is and we're delighted that you came home to talk to us for a few moments today. Busy, busy time. Good luck with the book. Well done and congratulations again. It's terrific. I recommend it highly. Madam Politician by Martina Fitzgerald. Thanks Martina. Thank you Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Martina Fitzgerald there. Political correspondent with RTE. It's a fascinating book. Tell you what I'm going to do. I normally give it away on the show today, but I'm not going to because I'll tell you why. We have Book Club on Friday and I'm going to put it into the Book Club selection of books for this Friday, if that's okay. And you'll have a chance of winning it then. Late Lunch, LMFM Radio. Up next, it's our agony aunt, Barbara Kelly. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Barbara Kelly is back with us on Late Lunch. She's a counsellor and psychotherapist and she deals with personal problems. Barbara, good to see you again on the show. Hello, Jerry, Thank you very you? much for joining me once more. Let's begin with this one for you today. I'm riven with guilt and here's why. Last Christmas at our work party I became quite tipsy and in the heel of the hunt went back to a work colleague's place where I had the most incredible sexual encounter I had in years. It was unexpected and impromptu with a man who's a good friend at work some years younger than me and in a relationship with another work colleague. It was a once-off and nothing's happened since. However, I'm married to a really lovely man with two children who are in their early teens. It's almost a year ago at this stage, but the guilt and shame is getting worse. I've never told anyone what happened, but it's eating me up inside. Should I come clean with my husband and face the consequences or keep it to myself forever? Well, Jerry, I'll put it this way. I'm not I'm not given a clear cut answer on this. It's a very personal decision. Anybody who ever finds themselves in a, a similar situation, you know, you, you often hear people say, you know, what should I do? And they're asking their friends and they, they're asking lots of people, you know, what should I do? And I always feel it is so important never to give direct advice to somebody. This is such a personal decision to come to, you know, um, what it boils down to really is, is that this person, they, they need to take responsibility. They have made a very silly decision. You know, it, it, they made a decision that has led to this now that they're feeling racked with guilt. It's a year later. They're still going over it in their head and, and, and all the rest. And absolutely, I'm sure a lot of people would have a lot of empathy and compassion that it's a very difficult situation to be in. But it is very much about take responsibility. The one bit of advice, if I was to give any, is, you know what, maybe this person should consider going and talking to somebody on a professional basis. Go and and, and link in with a counsellor and do a piece of work. They may need to look at some issues for themselves around, you know, is this a once-off or has something similar happened before? Do they have issues around perhaps commitment or, you know, 
there might be other self-esteem issues going on that they need to really address. And then if they do decide, right, what am I going to do? That I've made a decision that perhaps I am going to discuss this with my partner and, and talk about what happened. They will also need support around, well, the consequences of that decision. You know, maybe will the relationship go through turmoil because of it? But I have to say, it doesn't mean it's the end of the relationship. If anything, you know, maybe coming clean will actually bring up other issues that are going on in their existing relationship. I know this lady there is saying there that um, she has grown up children. Yeah, two teenagers. You know, and she's been in this relationship for a long time. Sometimes, you know, like we said the last time about the excitement of, of a new relationship, that this can almost evoke memories of that excitement, the first flush of love and all those kind of things. It's not real. This situation was just a one-off and perhaps now she's putting her focus on that and feeling she's missing something in her marriage. Really, she needs to just sit down and really get her thoughts in order. Tipsy, she says she was mm. at the Christmas party. The Christmas party season will be with us yes. very soon again. Yes, you know, on alcohol involved yes, yes. here. You know, is that a mitigating factor? Well, look... I do think people's inhibitions definitely go out the window when they have one too many drinks. Lots of people will, will hold their hand up and say, look, I make some really poor choices. I'm, I've done some really silly things in my life. Some of them minor and some pretty major. You know, many people have, have made some very big life changing poor choices when they're drinking. But it all boils down to taking responsibility. You cannot blame alcohol because I always say to somebody, you made the choice to have the drink. So once you make the decision to drink and then you make the decision to go a little bit crazy and have too much drink, then you're actually making decisions that lead to poor decisions down the line. So own the fact that, you you know, if you've done something like this, that you did it, it happened. There's lots of learning to take from it. But I would say definitely for, for this situation that this person really needs maybe to have a little bit of support around reflecting what's really going on for them. Mm. Do you think, you know, it's nearly a year ago and there's guilt mm. there, riven with guilt, it says. Are you better off, though, just bottling that up? And when you think of, you mentioned a moment ago, yeah. there's a possibility here if you talk about this and bring this up with your husband, there's going to be Armageddon and things could fall apart completely. This could be yeah. the end of the road. Are you yeah. better off not just... <laughs> Again, I'm not giving anybody a, a straight out choice and saying, <laughs> what Barbara do I know? Said, what do I know? I know. Barbara but, said, come yes. clear. Barbara said, don't say anything. What I would say is, you know, whatever you do decide, um, it's important to have supports around it. Look, how many people go and say, I am absolutely riddled with guilt. I need to come clean and I need to talk about this. And then they speak about it. And the the focus of speaking about it is because they want to just kind of unburden themselves with this kind of thing they've been carrying. But where are they leaving it then? They're now creating another issue, which is the hurt and pain for somebody else. So all of your your decisions will have consequences and you need to be fully aware, take responsibility and you need a bit of support around it as well. The talk at the moment all over the place, and I know you don't watch it, but I do. Strictly Come Dancing and the curse of Strictly. But in case anybody listening doesn't know, oh my God, it's in the news big time since last week because uh, Sean Walsh with two N's and Cathy Jones, they're a couple on Strictly Come Dancing. They've been paired together for the competition. Were photographed out in London last week canoodling, right? The pictures appeared and all hell has broken loose there. And there's alcohol involved I'm just yeah. saying in, in that case yeah. there as well um, his uh, partner is gone Sean Walsh's partner has just left the field side left Katia Jones uh, husband Neil Jones she says they're solid and they're staying together <sighs> what constitutes infidelity? 
Well, first of all, I mean, the, as you know, everybody loves a good story and a bit of gossip and everybody's lapping all this up. But look, there are two relationships, four lives that have really been impacted. You know, even the relationship that says that they're standing, you know, the, the huge amount of hurt that has been caused by that. And I think it's not just awful that it's all in the public you know, glare of lights and everybody's talking about these people as if they're not actually human beings. It's just, oh, it, I just think it's... Is a drunken sad. snog a deal breaker? Again, Jerry, it is very much a personal opinion. It comes down to your own kind of morals and ethics and, you know, different people have different kind of boundaries. But it is very important that if you're in a relationship with somebody that your boundaries are similar. That's where a lot of the issues... Do you need to talk about that? Should you talk about that from the get-go? Yes. Absolutely. You know, isn't it funny, and I don't know whether it's a real Irish thing or what it is, but we don't tend to talk about things around relationships and intimacy outside of the bedroom. It's almost like it's, you know, oh, now I couldn't be talking about those things. And yet they are the things that often destroy relationships when they are in inca- um what's the word uh, com- compatible they're not compatible yes. and you know i think that they are actually the the fundamental they're the core of an awful lot of of relationships we need to d- talk about these things and as i always say you know what if you're not comfortable to talk about intimacy um you know anything around relationships if you're not comfortable to talk about them outside of of the bedroom well then you're really not ready to have a committed adult relationship inside of the bedroom it is so important that you do talk about everything you know, in a comfortable way that you have that connection and understanding because it is it's it is important that you are compatible when and, and one area like we've said there is around boundaries. You know, what does constitute too far? What is infidelity? You know, different people have different boundaries. Here's another one for you, Barbara. I'm totally fed up with my life and really annoyed with myself that I've allowed matters arrive where they are today. I married a woman I love like nothing else in the world three years ago and we have a little girl who's a year old at this stage. The problem is I've no outlet in life anymore. Indoor football with mates once a week gone, a game of golf from time to time, no more and a few pints on Friday after work, a thing of the past. Yet herself is more than happy uh, and herself is more than happy that it's all gone. In fact, I realise now that the woman I love was part and parcel of my now isolation from my interests and friends. And what's more, she still has her weekly soiree with the girls and wouldn't miss the gym three times a week. I want some of my past life back before I crack up. How can I make this happen without causing ructions at home? I think that's a. this is a very common issue that arises in a lot of relationships. Um, and for me, I think the word that jumps out is this word of balance. Um, you know, like in any relationship, there needs to be a sense of balance. And for, you know, in, when we look at a couple, some, some couples need a lot of um, social contact. So they, you know, a little social butterfly. They like to be out every weekend, go out a few times a week. And then sometimes um, your partner might be somebody who actually craves alone time and loves to be on their own, loves to go off for walks and be very much, you know, have their own time in their own space. So it's not about tit for tat. You know, you go out a lot, so I need to go out a lot. It's actually about what you need. And I'm wondering in this situation with this guy here, you know, he's saying that he used to have all these social outlets. And now he finds three years down the line of marriage that it's all gone. Now, what I would really love to know is, first of all, is this 
the way it is because his wife has actively prevented him from connecting with people because that's one issue that's quite a serious issue and that would need to be looked at very differently. And that's wrong. Absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. That's to do with, you know, isolating, misusing control and power over somebody. That's, you know, that leads to a whole other issue. But I get a sense from this that actually what's happened is I'm wondering whether he was quite happy to put his time and energy into, you know, young love, together, newly married, and then a new baby came along. He may have actually quite willingly have put all his time and effort into just him and his wife and his child. But now, for whatever reason, three years in, he's starting to long again for the social contact, for, you know, to be out and about with more people, to see his mates and all those things. So I think it's very important that, you know, he needs to take responsibility here. Perhaps he has actually made choices that have led him now to feel like he's lost touch with certain groups of friends. And sometimes our natural reaction is to blame. You know, it's my partner's fault. She's still out and I'm not, whatever. Maybe he needs to stop and go, Okay, maybe I was okay with it initially but I'm not okay now. So what do I need to do? And it's about balance. So it is about, you know, sitting down and having a chat and going, okay, these are the nights you're out. And they're obviously something that's very important to his wife. And we don't want to take that away. But if he now feels that he also needs it, well, then it's about saying, right, you're going out. That's brilliant. I will go out the following weekend. Balance, balance, balance. It's a respect of each other. It's a balance of each other's needs. And you know what? It's, it is about respecting what each other needs. So sit down and sort this out. It always Talk comes about down to communication, Communication, it? <laughs> communication. Yes. I think it just comes down to that all the time. But I suppose the situation that people on both sides, men and women, can oh. find themselves in very easily. Absolutely. You know, it's almost like there's the stereotypical idea that a lot of, in the past, not so much now, but definitely in the past, where a lot of women found that they, you know, they, they got married, they stopped working, they had children, they, they were at home all the time, but their husband continued to work and have a social life. And then there was that sudden realisation, the children are older now, they don't need me in the same way, and now where are my friends gone? Where's my life gone? And that was the very sort of stereotypical thing that we saw a lot, huge amount of. Things have changed now because men and women do have, you know, they're, they're more likely to be both working. So things have changed. So we are actually seeing more men affected by this than there would have been stereotypically in the past women. Interesting. Dear, let's have uh, this one just before we go. We can f- fit it in. I'm at my wits end. I've met uh, the man of my dreams. Everything is going terrific apart from w- when we visit his mum. She's as nice as pie with the fake grin and the inedible rock scones. She loves to see me forcibly shoved down my throat. Oh, my God. But she's forever dropping comments about me. She comments on my weight, the outfits I wear. Uh, telling me about his last girlfriend, how perfect she was. Uh, any comments are usually made out of earshot, uh, earshot of my boyfriend, but the uh, few she said in his company, he just laughs them off. He doesn't understand why I get upset when she compares me to his ex. I've managed to keep the visits to a minimum, but now she has to have an operation and my boyfriend is bringing her to stay with us to recuperate. I don't know how I'll cope. I know she'll just keep criticising me my house and everything else. Yeah, it's time to regain your power, my dear. You know, in a situation like that, you know, this is your home. This is your relationship with your boyfriend. If this lady who, all in effect, I suppose it's like your mother-in-law, if if your mother-in-law is going to be coming to stay while she recuperates, that's incredibly generous and kind of you to do that. And I think that, you know what, she is a guest in your home. So, 
you know, rather than fight this, because I'm getting the, the, the sense that, you know, if your mother-in-law is making a lot of comments and they tend to be out of earshot, well, then it sounds as if your mother-in-law has a certain amount of awareness and control over what she's doing. For whatever reason she's doing it, they're her issues. But the impact on, on this lady is obviously a lot. You know, this is very hurtful. It sounds as if your boyfriend is used to this. And because he may have grown up experiencing this lady behaving this way, he may not be as aware as you are of the impact it's having. Sometimes we grow up in great dysfunction and we that's our normal. We don't even realise it. And it's often not until maybe we're in a relationship or a friend comes in and they say, what the hell is that about? That we kind of stand back and go, well, maybe this isn't the way everybody is or the way it should be or could be. So I would say, that in this situation, you know, remember, this is your home. And if your mother-in-law is coming, it's very much as a guest. But you also have a right to say she 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 can't come because it is your home too. So what I would say is you need to feel comfortable if this lady is going to come and stay in your home. And what, are, what you're going to have to do is actually sit down with your partner, have a conversation about agreed boundaries, rules, whatever it is that you feel you need to feel safe and comfortable in your home. And then it's your boyfriend who will be communicating this to your mother-in-law because this is his mother, his responsibility. And if this is not possible, well, then I would say, sorry, but she can't stay. There you have it. Straight to the point. Barbara, thank you so much indeed. We'll see you again soon. Barbara Kelly, counsellor and psychotherapist. And if you want to talk to Barbara on a professional basis, we have our number of 1850 715 958. Thanks a million. Thanks, Jerry. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Health screening and hearing tests. Yes, you're not hearing it. It's true. Tomorrow between 10 and 4 at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Dundalk, the Irish Heart Foundation are providing free blood pressure tests and also free blood glucose testing for diabetes, while Hidden Hearing are carrying out hearing tests and removing earwax. The LMFM Roadrunner will be there between 11 and 1, so as uh, well as getting some free health checks, you could win some great prizes. That's tomorrow in the Crown Plaza Hotel, Dundalk, between 10 and 4. For more information, check it out on hiddenhearing.ie. And here's another one with that end of year big date coming on the 25th of December. Imagine this. Imagine if you won a car. How would you like to win a brand new car for Christmas? The Great Scotch Hall Shopping Centre Car Giveaway in association with ourselves here in LMFM is back. And this year you have the chance to win a stunning Fiat 500 valued at over €18,000. Every time you spend €50 across any of Scotch Hall's 50 plus shops, you'll have the opportunity to enter the car draw. Every Tuesday, from now till Christmas, LMFM will announce a weekly winner who will receive a €100 Scotch Hall gift card, lovely, and gain entry to the grand finale car giveaway, which takes place on Friday, December 21st, four days before Christmas, and you could be popping your backside into a lovely Fiat 500. Oh my God, isn't that fantastic? So just pop your entry form into the draw drum located in Scotch Hall, and stay tuned to LMFM to find out if you're one of the lucky finalists. Oh, Sinead, I'd love a Fiat 500. I don't know if we can enter, can uh, we? We can't, we can't, but I think it's a lovely... 
I always remember it's a little special place in my heart so it has the little fade because when I lived in the North Road our neighbour Johnny Clutterbuck what a lovely man he was and he looked after us as children and brought us to the seaside he had a car he played football with us he was just brilliant uh, Johnny's first car was a little Fiat like that as well so it holds special memories yes. for me you know but the new Fiat 500s oh my god they're beautiful little cars wouldn't it be lovely have oh, you ever won nice. anything big in your life Nothing big like that, no. No, me no, neither. No, Me neither. Never won anything a jock no. like that at all. But I did enter one of those, uh, you know, those win a house ones. Did you? Yeah. Are you so in? I, oh, I'm in. <gasps> Sinead, Could imagine. Oh, man. Well, I'll tell you one thing. We can hear you normally, but I'll tell you one thing. We'll all be for hidden here in Tess if you win that house. That's and for you know sure. When the draw is got, when the draw is on, we'll, be, we'll actually won't even be here. We'll be in Kilkenny oh when my the actual draw is God on. God Almighty. So well, hear me well we'll Kilkenny. hear you from Kilkenny. I hope you win it. I really do hope you win it. Anyway, that's the story on the car for Christmas. Up next on Late Lunch, they're causing massive waves in Black Rock. Can I say as soon? army heading to County Loud along the coast. Rock Salt Cafe have opened. Hear the story next. It's one of the jewels in the crown of County Loud. Black Rock I'm talking about. It's just beautiful, isn't it? Along the seafront there and all it has to offer and the views and the weather this summer. But you know what? That little bright diamond in County Loud is, is shining even more brightly now because it has a wonderful addition. Rock Salt Cafe has opened in Black Rock and the man behind it is with me on late lunch this afternoon. I'm delighted to welcome to the show Daniel McLaughlin. It's good to see you. Hi, Jerry. Thanks very much for having me on. Not at all. You see, we have heard about this star that's happened down there on the seafront <laughs> in the little village. When did you open? We opened um, the 12th of August, I think it was. Um, we were aiming to kind of open up in, I suppose initially we were looking at June, but um, we wanted to get the place completely right. We didn't want to rush it through. We wanted, um, we just wanted to create create something different in, in Black Rock. And, yes. And thankfully with, uh, with Connor Hughes' help behind us, um, we, we were able to do that, you know. So that's where you are. You're in part of Connor's place there, that's is it? That's right, yeah. Do you know the old Danny Hughes shop? I do, yeah. That's that's uh, that's mine now, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, absolutely. So that's where you are. And how did that come about? Did you contact him or him you, or how did the um, place happen? It was uh, it was a little bit of luck, to be honest. I saw that he'd, uh, he'd gone for planning permission um, online and through a friend of a friend, um, passed on Connor's number I knew of him I, I didn't know him personally um, and I just gave him a call out of the absolute blue one day and said I heard you're you're looking to, to put a cafe in there um, I'd love to I'd love to run that and take the lease off your hands you know and the rest is history pretty is much is this your first venture solo my first venture solo yes yeah absolutely I've been involved in a couple of different businesses all for other people Um just working my way up through the industry, trying to gain as much experience as possible. Um, and just previously before this, I opened Show the Market Cafe in Minute for the Glen Royal Hotel and worked uh, close with Ted Robinson there. Um, and I suppose that kind of gave me the, I suppose the confidence and and the connections back in in the Irish hospitality industry to to say, okay, well actually this is going really well. Um, 
I need to I, I need to try and do do something like this for myself, you know, and Work it's always been a goal. Yeah, well, so. why not? And you're just ready to go now, and away she's uh, washed so far. Yeah, for she certainly has. Yeah, it has. Absolutely. No, I, I know it really has. The, the last year was a very special year for you because you mentioned the Glen Royal and what you were doing there. That was a Voca esque. Can I say that sort of? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's very similar. We kind of modelled that on the style of a Voca, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, it was certainly a, a kind of a lifestyle cafe. Um, food hall we did a bit of retail uh we did quite a bit of catering there as well um and and that kind of evolved very quickly and uh and that was a great success you know and you received a lovely accolade last year (laughs) best food service manager 2017 congratulations that's that's right yeah i didn't uh that kind of caught caught me off guard to be Mm. honest that was um the the institute of hospitality uh with that one but that was uh that was brilliant, and and for all the hard work that we put into show, it was uh, it was certainly nice to to get the recognition from it. So here you are, and you can put your own imprimatur on this place of yours now. That's it. I was looking at the pictures. I'm nosy, you see. Even <laughs> yesterday wasn't yesterday. Just God send of a day. My God, you were busy. The oh, tables outside were jammers. Absolutely, it was. We'd uh, from I think from half ten yesterday morning, we had a steady queue out the door of at least 10, 15 people waiting for a table and we had six other tables outside and the place was buzzing and... It says it all. Oh, it was a great atmosphere and, you know, what was lovely about it was the service was great, the, the team were, were were really enjoying it. The busier it got, the more they got into it as well. You know, Connor Connor um, Prendergast, my head chef, is amazing, amazing talent and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here today speaking about it, but... It's, He's he's actually the genius behind the food, you know, and behind the quality and the consistency. You know, we we've, we've certainly been in this together, you know, mm. um, since day one. So, what sets you apart? Why are people queuing to get into <laughs> Rock Salt Cafe? Um, I think there's I think there's a combination of things. I think first of all, the cafe is completely unique. The design, the layout, the decor is just uh, it's just something you you'll never see anywhere else. Um, to give you an example, we've got we found some old Hungarian tram seats and we made boots out of them. Um, our tables and chairs came in from a warehouse in in Holland. Um, the kitchen is an open kitchen team, so you can see Connor when he's working. You can see the team in the kitchen working. It's very very easy, very open atmosphere. You can see everything going on. We've nothing to hide. You know, we we, we want to be proud about what's going on. So behind there's no the slacking in the kitchen. There's certainly not. No, they don't get a moment to, to themselves. <laughs> but the food, it's it's about the food. This is what people yeah. are talking about. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So we use uh, between myself and Connor. Uh, Connor actually was sous chef in Tankerstown House. Um, and just a little bit of history between myself and Connor. We actually played football for Rock Celtic uh, all the way up through from under 11s up to up to the reserve team and seniors. And I then left when I was when I was 18 and and went off my own my own travels. And Connor went his way through the kitchen side of things, you know. Um, and I just bumped into him last year, and something just stayed in the back of my head about about Connor, you know. And isn't that brilliant? Yeah. And when this opportunity came up, I gave him a call and. We met and had a coffee, and he was sous chef there in Tankerstown House, and they just—he was part of the team there that just won their the two rosettes. Um, and you know, it was it was perfect opportunity for us. Okay, so we were he was looking for passion. something new as well. And exactly, he there, the here you were. And we, we were able to share that opportunity you know? in life, timing, That's coincidence, it. you name it—the whole lot, Daniel, came together. But you, you're very particular, aren't you? Now you talked about how you, the decor, the place, about yeah. his skills, your team there as well. But you're. Your food, where, where's that coming from? So the that's produce? all locally sourced. Um, we we basically teamed up with um, 
with some great local suppliers. We spent a bit of time. We get all our eggs from Anna's Eggs in Knockbridge. Um, we do a lot of work with uh, Maria in Bally McKenney Farm. I think she was on actually before. Well, actually, she's been with me and she's going to be this because I, this is this is just such a coincidence because I was only out her the other day and I've recorded oh, with brilliant. them yeah. with herself and Tara Walker for the food That's class right. this yes, month. Yeah, so I've yeah. been with her as well. So, oh, what beautiful projects they oh, have it's there. absolutely amazing. Mm. And, and she's brilliant. She goes, they meet halfway, herself and Connor normally. Um, and uh, yeah, it's boot, boot to boot and then into, into mm. straight into the kitchen, you know. Mm. It's but look brilliant. at the freshness there. You so know fresh. where it's coming from. That farm, they're turning, they're turning that farm right round now to, oh, you know, as amazing. organic as they can. And they're moving in that direction. Yeah, and she's got some, some great stuff coming up. So watch out. We're going to, we're going to, the plan is to create a menu around some of her, her dishes. Yeah, so you're going to work forward. with her, the producer, and she's going to tie in with you. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And it's a great get concept, our, isn't it? Oh, it is. It's brilliant, you know. And we, we, we can stand behind it saying, look, that's, the, you know, for the broccoli, she actually picked that the day before and, and it's straight on the grill. And it's some for me Sunday it, lunch you know, yesterday. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. It's absolutely amazing, you know. It's lovely, yeah. Um, and we get a fish, uh, our fish uh, from the fish shop John and Clara Heads uh, so we go up there and we get that fish fresh in the morning and then that becomes our fish of the day our catch of the day mm-hmm. so we change that it could be salmon one day it could be haddock the next it could be cod just depending on what's the freshest so and what you're, he has. You're, you're working with the locals you're talking Absolutely. about in this whole to. in the northeast here as close as you can to Black Rock of they're course. the people you want to work with will you be open to others in the future if you see others that yeah if if the quality's right yeah. and, and things like that absolutely um, but but at the moment I mean it's it's all about creating the best taste for mm. our customers as well and, and well can I say this yeah I know that. there's nobody growing coffee beans in Lowther Mead <laughs> yet but I'm hearing great vibes about this uh, rock salt coffee blend is that what it is that's Am it right? yeah, yeah we've we've uh, basically created our own unique blend um, so you can't get it anywhere else it's not um, it's not widely available I'll tell you that much um, we've actually teamed up with um, coffee perfections in Dunboyne and I worked with a guy called James uh, James Hood there, and we both created this this amazing blend. It's a, a blend of beans from Brazil, Sumatra, and Kenya, and we get it done freshly over in over in the UK. A group called Master Roast has the recipe for us. Uh, we must have tasted about a hundred different coffees while we were trying to get this right and trying to balance it with the milk and the complexity and the acidity, and and we came up with this amazing blend. Um, and it's just it's just taken off it's, it's, it's unbelievable <laughs> oh I know coffee heads have been talking about it to me yeah, a couple no, of them dropped into you and they said this is really special what this guy has you're a young fella you've yes. put a new team together here it's new to Black Rock as well it must be so exciting to see the response I know it's early doors but you've had a tremendous thumbs up haven't you from oh, people it's, it couldn't have gone any better you know um, obviously being a local guy and being able to come back I yeah. mean I think I left Black Rock nearly 11 years ago um, and to be able to come back and obviously people will support you initially but the best the best compliment I'm getting is people keep coming back but it's it's the same people that keep coming yeah. back you know they're not just coming down to show her face say oh best of luck Daniel and, and they're, going, they're going back to their old places in town or, mm. or wherever else they go they're, they actually genuinely like it mm. you know and, and that's what's that's what's brilliant I was talking to a couple yesterday who drove down from Dublin and they waited 15 minutes for a table and they came up to me and they said that was the best chicken sandwich that he, they've ever had. 
Um, I couldn't believe it, you know, all the way from Dublin. But so it's, you're, you're not open great. today, that's why you're here. Monday's That's your day right. off, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And what are you open for? Are you doing breakfast, lunches? Are you doing evening stuff? We've done a couple of evenings. We're starting to roll in a couple of team evenings. So we're okay. looking at doing an Italian night um, in the next couple of weeks. And we did an African theme night for charity there um, to test the waters. We we have 35 seats and 60 people turned up on the night. So it was... Uh, <laughs> a bit of a squeeze. Oh, it was, but it was, it was amazing. People were happy enough yeah. to share tables and everything. So it, there is more to come. This is only a taste of what's what's on offer at the moment. So at the moment, we're open from... Well, from tomorrow, we're going to start opening at half eight for takeaway coffees, things like that. And we're open then from breakfast, brunch, through to lunch then as well. Okay. Um, and afternoon snacks and cakes and lovely, things like that as well. Lovely, lovely. And you're enthusiastic and you have enthusiastic people with you as well working and... Absolutely. It's, that's that, oh, that's it's good. key to it, you know. It's, mm. That really is... For you were away for 11 years, so you did yeah. a lot of travel. I know you spent a lot of time in the UK and you've worked in this business, so you're bringing a lot of learnings back with you. Well, that's it. I think in this industry, you have to continue to learn. And, you know, I'll, I've I've got fantastic experience. You know, I studied down um, Shannon College Hotel Management. That's where, where I started started my trade, you know. Uh, I moved over to, to London f- fairly shortly after. Um, worked with the Sofitel Hotel Group for four years. I started off as a management trainee, working my way up to a restaurant manager. Um, and I then moved to the South Lodge Hotel as their fine dining restaurant manager and worked closely with a chef there, Stephen Edwards, who went on to win Master Chef to Professionals. Um, so that was that was a whirlwind. Um, and when I was there, I won the Acorn Scholarship, um, which basically recognises, I suppose, young managers coming up through the ranks and, and gives them a bit of an opportunity and a bit of mentoring and, um, and helps them out, mm. you know. Um, so through that, I met a guy called James Haller. And... What I what my goal was always to be before I was thirty, I wanted to be a general manager of five star hotel, and that was what I was going for. And I was on I was on the right track and going for that. And then when I met James through the Acorn Scholarship, James is in, in independent restaurants. He owns Ego Restaurants, and he is he has his hands in probably about five hundred different restaurants throughout the UK, in one way or another. Um, and he pulled me aside one day and said, Dan, why do you want to be a general manager and then want to go on to open your own business? I said, oh, because that's the best way I'm going to learn all what I need to learn. So he said, no, no, no. You need to go and work for an independent restaurant group or you need to go and manage somebody's business. So then you really understand the finance side of things, the backing, the leadership, mm. what, you, what you really need. So I said, OK. So to cut a long story short, I actually spent two days off of my two of my days off a month traveling around the UK with either James or with somebody that managed a restaurant for him um, and I did that for six months through the Acorn Scholarship um, and absolutely loved what he was doing and I remember coming back one time and I picked up the phone and I called him and I said James the next position you have suitable for me wherever it is please give me the opportunity. He called me back two weeks later and uh, I, I moved up to Warwick and ended up running a restaurant for him. The rest is history. He's back in his home patch. Rock Salt Cafe, Black Rock, check it out. You're a young guy with full of enthusiasm. I wish you well. It started great for you. I'm sure the future is rosy. Please, God. Thank you for dropping into us today. Thanks very much, Thanks, Jerry. Daniel. Really nice it. to talk to you on the show. That's a lot on late lunch for this afternoon. Better check me feathers there. I was taking the wrong one down. Sorry, Eamon. Sorry, Eamon Duffy wouldn't do that. Yes, he's up next with the drive. He's raring to go. Stay with him for some brilliant music and banter. We'll see you for late lunch tomorrow. Half one. 
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.